Hi. Hello. I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes. A true crime podcast. So we're on to part seven of Ted Bundy because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, Bundy has been arrested for the aggravated kidnapping of Carol DeRanche in Utah. The police have been talking to Elizabeth Klepfer. They talked to Anne Rule. They kind of are getting like a picture of who Bundy is. They would um, reach out to Diane um, Marjorie Jean, who's in California. So they're kind of like starting to figure out who this guy really is. And in addition to all of these women who were major parts in his life, they also start reaching out to these little like minor sexual partners that he had in Utah at the time. They all said he was, like, really creepy in the bedroom, but he Ugh. was really nice in person. Oh. Which is interesting. That sucks. I know. I would be so disappointed. I'd be like, oh, really? Oh. Bummer. <laughs> okay. So, Bundy hated being in prison during this time and corresponded with a lot of people, um, including Anne Rule, who kept all of his letters. And he would send her, like, really bad poetry it's funny. Like, his poetry is so bad. From jail? Yeah, from prison. Talking from about prison, being yeah. in prison. And he'd also, like, talked about Jello a lot, apparently. <laughs> I don't weird. know. It's just, he's he's insane. He's a psychotic killer. So, I don't even, yeah. I don't understand any of his logic. But, eventually, his parents raised enough money to post his bail, and he went to Seattle to wait for the trial. So he was still under constant surveillance, mind you. So like it wasn't like they just let him out, mm-hmm. <laughs> let him be free. So I hate the bail system. Uh, yeah, it's it's discriminatory. I agree. Anyway, and the, his bail was posted at like fifteen thousand dollars, and they raised it pretty quickly. Um, he was like a part of the Mormon Church at this point too, like a, a sort of like a failed member. He's doing a lot um, of things you're not allowed to do. Yes, a lot of things you're not allowed to do as a Mormon or a human or a human, really. Yeah. <laughs> so all of the police departments have been comparing notes, but they have this huge conference in Aspen um, after Bundy is released on bail, and they're they like come up with all of these. <laughs> I'm sorry, your face. I just sorry. I get she's over it right now. I can't. Uh, okay, talk about Ted um, Bundy on bail. God, what a what an idiot. Um, I really hate him so much. Like, if I had to hate one person in the world, it may have to be him. Or your Hitler. arms were like really crossed. And you're like, don't like him. making angry faces. Okay, <laughs> so Bundy was under constant surveillance by um, the Seattle PD. Uh, but they couldn't pin him to any of the murders because there wasn't any evidence to do so, which is so sad. Yeah, they could just watch him and make sure that he didn't do anything again. All of these different police departments had compared notes by this time, and they were like, well, this is a lot of women that all look the same. So Bundy would have a lot of conversations with Anne Rule at this time. Like, they would hang out a lot, and they would have really long, like, in-depth conversations about things and she was so comfortable with him that she was like did you do this stuff mm-hmm. and he was like I don't want to talk about this right now like I so can't yes. <laughs> yeah but he was the way that she phrased it in her book and the way that he said things he basically was trying to like clue her in on like I did this but I can't talk to you about yeah. it and you're my friend and I want to be your friend and I you know I want to be able to trust you so I just can't do it Rule would also say that he bragged all the time to her about evading his police little 
people. What are those people called? His police escort. This wasn't an escort. What do I you- don't name. I don't even know. His, his, <laughs> you know, like the police who would follow him around. He would evade them quite often. Um, and he would brag about it a lot. But eventually he gets out of Seattle and he has to go back to Utah because on February 20th, 1976, Bundy was put on trial for the aggravated kidnapping of Carol Durant. His attorney was John O'Connell, and Bundy was pretty positive that he would win this trial, and he acted like his typical cocky self during it. He also, at this trial, he had a ton of supporters as well, because at this point, people were like, this is ridiculous. Uh, This is not the Ted Bundy we know. Like, he would never do anything like this. This is a fluke. Yeah, no one believed that he did it. Yeah, no. And, like, half of the Mormon church would show up to this trial. Elizabeth was there. Um, His parents were there. Anne Rule was there. It was just a lot. Did he know that Elizabeth and Anne Rule had turned him in? He didn't know until, well, he he knew Elizabeth turned him in. He told Anne Rule that when he was in Seattle. I remember the conversation she talked about. They're like still together. Yeah. And (laughs) she she was like, okay, so um, when he was in Seattle, she wouldn't let him see her daughter, but they were still involved with each other. Like they were still dating at this point. Okay. I'm pretty sure that engagement that they had set was broken and it obviously wouldn't come to fruition at all. But um, yeah, so he knew Elizabeth turned him in, but he told and he was like i love her so much i don't even care i was like i'm sad for everyone (laughs) i know it's so it's a lot anyway bundy was advised not to take a polygraph test so he didn't do that which was confusing to everyone because he was so adamant that he was innocent and they were like just take a polygraph test it'll be fine and at this point polygraphs weren't inadmissible so if you took a polygraph maybe we couldn't figure that out we couldn't figure out the date for that So he doesn't take a polygraph test. And during the trial, Carol's there and she has to go through a a brutal cross-examination by O'Connell. And Bundy is just like sitting there staring at her the whole time. And he would do this in the trials in Florida as well. He was just like super creepy. But the biggest problem for Bundy in this instance is that he had to make up for all of the lies he had told previously because now he's like facing trial and he has to say, well, actually, I have been to Colorado and they had proved that he was there because of all You're these gas trips. <laughs> and he also had to say, well, I didn't go to the drive in and I was just smoking marijuana in my car. And so I was trying to be inconspicuous. But I made up a lie so that he wouldn't. And I like was, you know, wafting smoke out the window. And so he has to like make up for all of these. That's kind of smart. I know it was kind of smart. I thought that was kind of clever. But he has to make up for all of these lies. And he also didn't have an alibi for the night that Carol was abducted because he was abducting Carol. And so, (laughs) so like, also, Bundy had decided to waive his right to a trial by jury. So the trial was a bench trial, which basically... Honestly, that's what I would do, too. (laughs) Honestly. So which that just means that the judge would make the final decision. And on the 27th of February, Judge Stuart Hansen found Ted Bundy Bundy guilty of kidnapping Carol Durant. So, yay. Yay! Uh, um, (laughs) He has a really small (laughs) sentence. (laughs) Your body body Uh, language is cracking me up during this whole thing. I get very excited when he gets in trouble. Um, you were just like, 
your body, you just made little like, <laughs> what are these? I don't know, little hands. Bunny hands? I, I don't know. <laughs> so we don't have his sentencing until um, a few months later because they decided to have a mandated psychological evaluation before his sentencing. Probably a good idea. Um, yeah, so he was analyzed by Dr. Al Carlisle, who famously said that Bundy asked him if Al thought he had done all of the things he had done. And Al said, I don't know, but I do know that if you did, you'll do it again. So that was right on the money. Yep. Very accurate. And it was an extra, it was like a three month examination and Bundy was found to be normal, which according to a letter he wrote to Anne Rule after um, this diagnosis, the doctors were like perplexed by the fact that they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Because he seemed so normal. And again, this has to go back to the fact that he can manipulate the situation. He has a little bit of a dissociative disorder. Um, he would even confirm that later in the trials in Florida when he would say that, like, he would go into this state of, like, attorney Ted and then murderer Ted. Like, those were two different people or two different versions of himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there wasn't anything wrong with him. So Bundy was sentenced on June 30th to 1 to 15 years um, because it was just a kidnapping case. So he wasn't actually charged with any murders in Washington or in Utah. Um, just so we they could clarify. Yeah, because yeah, they really couldn't find any evidence against him. So a new thing was developing, though. <laughs> in Colorado, detectives had found three hairs inside of Bundy's car that would link him to not one, but three victims Carol Campbell, Melissa Smith, and Carol Durange. And this is also when they, you know, like they had found all those credit card slips to prove that he was in Colorado at the time. And he was in Colorado in Aspen the night Carol went missing. And we have an eyewitness who said, I saw Bundy in uh, the... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was making fun of Claire's <laughs> hand gesture. I'm sorry, I have Italian hands. Earlier you were talk. literally like this, just like... Crouched in your chair, arms crossed, angry. And now uh-huh. you're, like, flailing your arms everywhere. <laughs> yes. See, this is why I could never be, like, I, I could never pass a polygraph test or anything because I could, <laughs> my body language in itself it's would just, just exhibit what I did. So, anyway, so they're starting to create a case against Bundy for the murder of Karen Campbell. So, magically, um, while he's still imprisoned in Salt Lake City, On October 22nd of 1975, Bundy was formally charged with the murder of Karen Campbell in Colorado. At this point, Bundy already had, like, a little girl following. Like, a whole bunch of women were, like, writing him letters. And there was this girl named... (laughs) So funny. Yeah, there was this girl named Sharon who showed up all of the time. And poor Elizabeth is, like, still hanging on to him. And now he has, like, a murder trial that's coming up. And he claimed innocence of the murder of Karen. um, But ultimately, he would face trial in Colorado. But not really. So (laughs) his extradition arraignment was on November 24th, 1976, which just means that Utah would hand over Bundy for trial in Colorado. And they agreed. So he would be moved to Colorado to await trial. So on January 28th, 1977, Bundy moved to the Pitkin County Jail in Aspen. And Rule lovingly called this place like a mom and pop prison. Like it was not very impressive. And Aspen is tiny at this point. It's gotten a lot bigger, obviously, but it's a very small little town. So like their prison 
was made for like back in the gunslinging days <laughs> where high noon was still a thing. So <laughs> it was basically like he had a kind of a little vacation while he was in prison here. Um, he was like in a decent cell. There wasn't a lot of security. He had access to a, li- a law library and he didn't wear handcuffs and wore regular clothes. But the jail was only a temporary situation and he moved to the jail in Glenwood Springs, um, which is really close to my house, actually. And for some Stupid reason, the county still allowed Bundy to go back to Aspen quite frequently to have access to that law library. That's um, nice. Yeah. But, like, I mean, yeah, that's nice. But, like, mm, it was a bad decision because of events that will follow. <laughs> so This part is so exciting. I know. So, on June 7th of 1976, 1977, sorry, the hearing took place. And oh, my when, gosh. I keep forgetting that it's been, like, five years only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are they going to cram all of this into a movie? I'm so excited to see how they do know. that. They're um, going to have to have like seven montages. I know, right? <laughs> we'll talk about it when we see it. Um, I'm very excited. I just want them to release it like today, but whatever. So on June 7th, what 19- did they do? Oh, stop. I, I wouldn't. I then would we're going right now. Yeah, we're done with this. And we would Sorry. get pizza and yeah. watch that. Yeah. We should just do should that, we do that anyways? anyways. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Say. Okay. Okay. So, um,. <laughs> Okay, so on June 7th, the hearing took place, and when the judge called for a break at 10.30, Bundy was allowed to go into the law library. So this was at in Aspen, in the courthouse, which was also the jail. So he was allowed in the law library, no handcuffs, not really any supervision, really. And a woman who was walking down the street in Aspen past the jailhouse (laughs) watched... (laughs) On the street as Theodore Bundy jumped from the second story law library window about 25 feet from the ground and limped off into the the sunset. (laughs) So nobody noticed this until this woman walks into the jailhouse and she's like, um, is it normal for people to just jump out of your windows? This is a prison. (laughs) And and people were like, what? And they realized he had escaped and this whole thing happens. Okay. So Bundy is a has escaped yes. in Aspen, Colorado. I mean, the story could not get more interesting. Know, he escaped. so juicy. So they set up roadblocks, but they literally couldn't find anything for six days. And people who lived in Aspen helped to search for him. And they were all dressed in like cowboy hats with holsters and big guns. Yes. And, and they like carried them into the woods, which is so oh my something gosh. Coloradans would do. They would all, like, I could just imagine my dad having a rifle and his little, his cowboy hat and his jeans tucked into his little work shirt. And he's like, all right cock the gun let's go find him and then walk into the freaking woods yeah that's, that would happen so yeah cool. that's just that's just like something so dramatic and unnecessary but but like that's i like just, it yeah that's what mountain towns in colorado are like there's just a whole bunch of like wannabe cowboys up there Bundy wasn't from here, so he escaped on a sunny day, but then the weather got worse through the week. If you're not from Colorado, our weather is, like, the worst. It fluctuates constantly. Like, in the morning, it could be snowing, and then midday, it's, like, raining, and then at the end of the day, it's, like, 75 degrees. So, you know. Accurate, yeah. yeah. We had a blizzard last week, and Uh school closed for the third time in 20 years, Uh and now we're not wearing jackets Mm -hmm. outside. No. Um, It was very warm outside today. And there's like little to no snow on the ground anymore. So 
he's walking around, not doing very well in the woods, and he stumbles upon a cabin, stole some food, but ultimately after a full week in the woods, he wandered back into town and stole a Cadillac from a golf course um, that had the keys in the ignition. Um, So just a quick, my cousin, yeah, I know, right? So my cousin's boyfriend, Mike, aunt lived in Aspen when Bundy escaped. And apparently he was wandering around in the same area where her house is located. So there is a possibility that Bundy probably passed by where she was living at the time. Um, And Bundy would also say that he interacted with a lot of people in the woods because there's campgrounds and all this stuff. So he would like say hi to people. Nobody knew who he was. It was just lot so that's really interesting (laughs) that but yeah so I have uh one non-related connection to Ted Bundy I guess so I also wanted to clarify an error that I made in the Zodiac episodes just one more (laughs) um I mentioned that Bundy had escaped in Colorado Springs. Oh yeah, instead of Aspen, it looked like Colorado. Uh, It did. Well, I looked at the movie. I've been to that street, but it's I've been to both streets. I've been to I've hung out in Colorado Springs a lot, and I know a lot about Aspen too. So they both look very similar. But yeah, he escapes in Aspen, not in Colorado Springs. So he's in this Cadillac and he's driving around and an officer noticed the Cadillac and saw that it was moving in a really weird way. And it was because Bundy had injured his ankle. So when he was like pressing on the gas, it like, yeah, it was just doing weird stuff. And so he pulls the car over and immediately recognized Bundy. And when he saw him, he was just like, hello, Ted. And then takes him in. Yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. Um, so this is on June 13th. So he was missing for around six ish days. So just another Elizabeth Klepfer update. She had officially removed herself from Bundy and she like told her, told him to leave her alone and that she was seeing someone else when she really wasn't seeing anyone else. But it actually was like something he was pretty upset about it for a while. But he had all these female admirers. So I'm like, whatever. Yeah. So Bundy's back in prison. Woohoo. And. (laughs) Like, a judge is like, you have to have leg irons on him all of the time. He is not allowed to go anywhere unsupervised. He cannot have access. But, oh, well, actually, they still let him have access to the law library. Like, they would still take him back up to Aspen, which I was like, okay. But they Um, were just supervising him now. I guess. So the hearing for the case wouldn't be until November 2nd, 1978. And so Bundy was in prison until then. And he was kind of, like, gearing up for his second case. So he's in prison for a significant amount of time before the second incident occurs. And sometimes it kind of feels like the information about the second incident. <laughs> um, it's like both of them happen pretty quickly right next to each other, but it doesn't. It takes like it's almost like six plus months until he would do the escapey thing again. <laughs> um, so all of this time, he's also losing weight, complaining about the food, and he's just Stupid doing that. Jello. Yeah, right. Jello. But he's basically just complaining so that he doesn't have to eat it. And then in addition to this, he wins like a pretty big victory because at the hearing, the judge refused to request, refused the request to include the murders of Melissa Smith, Laura Aim and Debbie Kent in the trial. Why? Just because there wasn't really any evidence to suggest Bundy was involved with the murder of Laura and Debbie. And so the judge just like refused to lop them onto that because the hairs that they had found were specifically Carol, uh, Melissa and um, uh, Karen. Oh, I thought those were the other two. I was like, "Mm -mm, what's the difference? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So they didn't include the other Utah murders. So he would never be charged with any murders 
in Utah, except for Melissa Smith. He would mm-hmm. we attempted to be charged with uh, the murder of Melissa Smith, but that didn't happen. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Two weeks later, another hearing was held, and after speaking with a coroner from Arapahoe County, they would say that the wounds inflicted on Melissa were different from Karen, and therefore the two weren't related, and the judge agreed, stating that the evidence found in Melissa's case were not were inadmissible. So Melissa was removed from the murder trial as well, so they couldn't use any of the evidence they had found in the car linking Melissa to Bundy at all. He would later confess that he killed her anyway, but it's just really unsatisfying for this moment. Anyway, so the trial date for Karen Campbell's case was set for January 9th, 1978, but it would never take place. (laughs) So in addition to all of the horrible things that were occurring, like that surrounded Bundy, the district attorney for Pitkin County, Frank Tucker, was indicted with unlawful use of public funds by a grand jury. And he was like a huge part of the case against Bundy. And now he couldn't be a part of it. Uh So everything was like collapsing. Um, Gosh, he's so lucky. Yes, exactly. Judge Lore was presiding the case, and he ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional after a motion from Bundy to have it removed as an option if there was a guilty charge for a sentencing. So if Bundy had stood trial in Colorado, he would still be alive and, like, in a prison in Colorado. So I think that this was, like, the dumbest decision he could ever make, the next thing he would do. So on December 30th, Bundy squeezed through a hole in the ceiling of his jail cell and made his way in through the ceiling into a detective's apartment. Luckily, again, luck of the draw here, the detective was out with his wife that night at a movie, so he wasn't in the apartment. And Bundy got down in there into the closet, put on some regular clothes, and literally walked out the front door of the prison. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is so satisfying for some reason. (laughs) I know, right? Like, I shouldn't be rooting for him. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, he's going to get out. Like, he got it. (laughs) So he then took a bus to Denver and took a cab to Stapleton Airport, which is not in existence anymore. Um, It would be moved further east and would eventually become DIA. Um, So he hopped a plane at Stapleton to Chicago, where he landed at 11 a.m. He had a 17-hour lead on the people in Colorado who didn't notice he was gone until later that day when they saw that his food hadn't been touched and realized the, what they thought was his body in his bed was a stack of books. So um, oh, The classic books under the bed. Yeah. So I did an interview with my grandpa, who was alive at the time and in Denver when Bundy escaped twice and left Colorado. And so I talked to him a little bit about what the overall vibe in Colorado (laughs) was like during this time period. So I'm going to include a little audio clip of him um, just kind of talking about what the atmosphere was in Denver, and especially since he had a very large family, but he didn't seem too concerned about that. (laughs) But (laughs) the interesting stuff um, is in there. So um, we will close out the episode with his interview. So we'll say goodbye right now, and then you can hear um, what my grandpa has to say about Ted Bundy and (laughs) what it was like for him living in Colorado when he escaped. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks thanks for for listening. listening. Bye. Bye. I do. I do remember the general reaction. The, the the reaction of the general public was one almost of it was of humor. Yeah. 
because, like I said earlier, it, he they let him escape. They let him escape the second time, and everybody thought, "Well, that's pretty funny, actually." Was anybody scared? Do you remember if there was any fear? I'm sure that there were probably people over on the Western Slope scared. We weren't, because I've always looked at that as being one of the advantages of living in a city. The odds of of a Ted Bundy being able to hurt my family is almost zero, because the way I look at it, how, how would he find this house or any house we're living in? So... What were you, so where were you living when Ted Bundy was here? We would have still been living, I believe, in North Glen. And that would have been around the time we moved down to Littleton, but I'm pretty sure that when Bundy was active. I don't actually have a large memory of that but I what I do remember is that he was on the loose and they knew that he was supposedly out killing people or or kidnapping them or whatever he he was arrested and he was taken if I remember right he he escaped in Aspen Colorado got loose and was running around. They thought that he had left the country, probably. But they wound up catching him in Colorado. He was still in the mountains, or he was... I don't know exactly the circumstances, but he had not gone out of state, they, and they caught him again. They put him in jail in Glenwood Springs. I knew a little about Glenwood Springs because I was a salesman then and we used to go to Glenwood Springs. We had printers and newspapers and stuff over there that we called on. But he broke out of the jail. He actually went up through the ceiling, I believe it was. He went up through the ceiling and he escaped from the ceiling. And what, what was common in Colorado is <clears throat> How stupid is that? He escaped once, and they put him in jail, and he managed to escape again. So everybody was pretty much laughing at him, like, how could you let him get away? He's a supposedly a dangerous criminal, and, and you let him get away. And then nobody knew where he was. And then finally, he, he was suspected they... He, I guess it was his M.O. matched up. Uh, there were a couple of girls and a couple of either, they were either high school or college age girls in Florida. Mm -hmm. And what, he either raped them or killed them. Maybe both. And uh, that's where they caught him. And they, they, they did not escape after that. He wound up, I think, was he executed? Uh, but I remember clearly at the time the fa everybody in Colorado was laughing at the the sheriff or the police in in Glenwood Springs because they let him escape the second time in in a after in a very short period. So that's my that's my memory of Ted Bundy.